And today we'll be reading from John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18. John chapter 14, verses 15 to 18. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Morning, family. My name is Aswan. I'm one of the pastors here who gets the privilege to walk life with you. Uh, to all our first-time visitors, thank you for coming. We're uh, so glad to have you. I'm not sure how we all grew up, but I grew up with my great-grandparents. And um, my great-grandparents were kind of swaggy, seriously. Uh, My great-grandfather, he would wear these red suspenders with every outfit, and he he would have like the V-neck shirt that went down to here, that V-neck white shirt that went down to here. My great-grandmother, she's probably the sweetest person I've ever met in my life, and she was kind of like the old sage um, of our family. Now, my great-grandmother's name is Alice, and my great-grandfather's name is Fred. So I grew up calling them Grandma and Grandpa Freddy. Yeah, y'all look perplexed. I don't know why either, but we did. We grew up just calling them Grandma and Grandpa Freddy. And one of the, the two, there were two major highlights when we went to Grandma and Grandpa Freddy's house. The first thing was Grandma Freddy was a card shark, and she played cards all the time. And sometimes she would get out her little, uh, her little bucket of coins, and she would let us play for money. And my dad would be like, you, you're teaching them how to gamble. I'm like, be quiet. I'm getting lunch money, man. Um, she was the, I mean, she played cards for as long as I can remember. The second thing is this. Whenever we left Grandma and Grandpa Freddy's house, Grandma Freddy would say, if you can't be good, be careful. And here's what that meant. All right, I don't know. I really, I don't know what it meant. I, I mean, does that mean be good and don't be careful? Does that mean be bad and forget about being good? Or I don't know. I really, we haven't found out what it meant. But we love Grandma Freddy because she was an old sage, and, and there was wisdom that she gave us in life that, that probably would have helped me avoid a whole lot of mistakes. Unfortunately, Grandma Freddie is not with us anymore. She, uh, she passed at the age of 99. Um, but Grandma Freddie really was the, the sage of our family. But I wonder, wouldn't it be great if we had our own personal sage? Wouldn't it be dope if we had a sage that was dedicated personally to us? And if you're not familiar with sage, sage a sage is just a person who who has a lot of wisdom and knows everything about everything. And in old school movies, that person would be depicted depicted by someone sitting on a rocking chair, kind of, and their voice got low and everybody wanted to lean in and listen to it. Yeah, like that. Wouldn't it be dope if someone gave us a sage, our own personal sage dedicated to us as a gift? Wouldn't it be great if someone gave us a person 
that we could turn to. And not only would they give us the right answer, but they would give us the right answer exactly when we needed it. What if we, what if we had a person dedicated to us who would, who would be our strength on our weakest moments, who would give us direction in life, who would flat out tell us what the next answer is. All of us in here have had needs in life. We've all needed direction. We've all needed strength. We've all needed endurance to continue to persevere and to get through life. We've all needed help loving hard people. Some of us are at that point right now. Today, some of us are here today, we woke up this morning and we're hoping that God gives us direction about our jobs or about a relationship or that, that God flat out uh, tell us what the next step or provide clarity on the next steps of life. Maybe some of you woke up this morning, you're like, listen, God, if this don't change, I'm going to lose my mind. And maybe you use some other choice words, but that's between you and God, no judgment. I don't know what you, I don't know how you pray. The good news is this. If that's you or someone you know, in our passage this morning, Jesus in verse 18, he says this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What is an orphan? An orphan is someone who has lost their parents to whatever circumstance and has no one to actually care for them no one to uh, provide for them, and they, they have to navigate through life, through life uh, themselves. And what is Jesus saying here? He is saying the only way for you and I to not be left as orphans, he has to send another. He has to send another advocate, the Holy Spirit. Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit is a big deal. And it has major, major implications in our lives. Now, for many of us, no matter if we're brand new to church uh, or we're brand new to, to, to Christianity or we've been following Jesus since Grandma Freddie was born, we would agree that following Jesus and living the Christian life has its challenges. We need help. We need help loving hard people. There are times when you daydream about putting the very people you love in some sort of headlocks. Okay, all right, that's just me. That's just me. There are many times when we need direction. There are times when you flat out have no idea what's next or what step you should take next in life. We need strength. There are plenty of times when you just don't think you're strong enough, even as a Christian. I don't know about you, but I feel like there are people in the world who are so much more disciplined than I. They're, they're eating healthy. They're, they're achieving their goals. And here I am struggling to follow this one simply weekly reading plan. Here's what's dope. Jesus promises everyone in here, the Holy Spirit, for everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus, we can be assured that we will receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will serve as that person in our lives, that person who provides strength, who provides direction, who provides comfort and endurance. We can rest, be re we can rest assured that the Holy Spirit will be that person in our lives. 
The person, uh, Jesus is telling his disciples that the spirit that gave Samson his strength. And for some of us, uh, remember, Samson was the big, brolic dude in the Bible who, uh, who was told not to cut his hair because all of his strength resided there. And, and he got tricked by this woman and he cut his hair and lost his strength. But when he had strength and his strength came back, man, it was the spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that gave him the strength. Jesus is telling the disciples here that uh, the same spirit that gave the prophets, and remember, prophets are just people who spoke on behalf of God. And, and when they had these supernatural glimpses into the future, that was the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is telling the disciples that now the Holy Spirit that gave Samson his power, the Holy Spirit that gave the prophets their supernatural glimpse, now that spirit was coming because he was sending him to live in the hearts of the disciples. It would have been similar to people discovering color TV. That was a mind-blowing invention. I mean, I wasn't there, but I would imagine. It was a mind-blowing invention. And in the same way, I don't know how people did it without color TV, but in the same way, the idea that the Holy Spirit would actually dwell in people's hearts was unprecedented unprecedented news for the disciples. See, early in the Bible, before Jesus steps on the scene, the Holy Spirit was active, but it was seen as temporary. But now Jesus is saying, he will be with you forever. The Holy Spirit's permanent residence is the heart of the believer. The Holy Spirit's permanent residence is in the heart of people. So today, we begin our series on the Holy Spirit. And we want to, in this series, what we, what we want to do is demystify the Holy Spirit. When the series is done, we want the Renaissance family to have a deep understanding of who the Holy Spirit is according to the Bible. You probably have an idea uh, of what the Holy Spirit is in your head. When I said Holy Spirit this morning, all of us probably had some sort of idea. Maybe uh, some of us thought about uh, different things. Maybe if we took it around, we probably know there were many different definitions. But what we want to do in this series is we want to pay, pay close attention to how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. Ultimately, in this series, we want to produce followers of Jesus who live bold, courageous lives rooted in a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. See, I want us to be empowered. I want us to be encouraged. It's sad that as believers, we, we kind of walk around earth and we are probably the, some of the most miserable people the world has seen. Man, I want us to be empowered and encouraged. Not that we have it all together, not that we're never going to make mistakes, but that we're fully aware that Jesus promises to not leave us as orphans. We are not designed to live life on our own and fend for ourselves. Jesus was fully aware that we would need someone to strengthen us, someone to guide us, and someone to comfort us. And he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. But here's a question. Is Christianity a set of beliefs you rep or a particular lifestyle you conform to or is it a dynamic relationship in which you walk with the Spirit and move in His power? I'm going to ask that again. Is Christianity a set of beliefs that you rep? And rep is 
colloquialism for represent, right? Marissa, you know. You know what rep means. Is Christianity a set of beliefs you rep or a particular lifestyle you conform to? Or is it a dynamic relationship in which you walk with the Spirit and learn how to move in His power? See, don't get it twisted. The goal of the Christian life is that we get God. Not abundance of things, that we get God. Before Jesus, God was inaccessible to the human. And the goal of the Christian life is that we get God. He himself is our reward. But if, again, if we went around the room and I handed you a mic, we'd probably get a hundred different definitions of who the Holy Spirit is. One might be the Holy Spirit is a mystical force. See, I get the privilege. Uh, I work with an organization called Young Life. And for the last 76 years, we've been introducing adolescents to Christ and helping them grow in their faith. And over the last 10 years for myself, man, I've had conversations with, with teens about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has always been seen as this germ that rested upon people and made them do these crazy things. There are probably some of us in here that come from faith traditions where the Holy Spirit was referred to as a ghost or some impersonal force that somehow snuck its way in your heart or in your body and made you do some crazy things. To some of us, the Holy Spirit isn't it. And when you came in today and I mentioned the Holy Spirit, maybe you thought about this it that was going to possess you and make you do something crazy that I was going to call you out of your seat and ask you to do some dance or something. But that's not how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. And there are other, others of us who see the Holy Spirit as an emotional experience. And I know, I mean, maybe you're not like me, but, but man, is, do, you, do you have that song that can take you to the third heaven? Show me. No, I mean, like, there's, there's, like there was a song back in the day that would take me there. And it was there. Every time I heard that song, man, I felt like God snuck in the room and he was just hugging me and singing to me. And I'm like, man, this is amazing. I would, I would feel so, like, so holy. You ever, after listening to a song, you ever felt, <laughs> Brendan know what I'm talking about. You ever felt so holy that you go outside, you start doing weird things like saying hello to people. You start shaking people's hands. It's like a 23-year-old going up the stairs. I'm like, yo, do you need help? Like, yo, I'm fine, bro. What's wrong with you? I mean, I would feel this, like, holy presence after this song. Or maybe for some of us, there's a location. There's a place that you go or have gone. And when you went there, you had this emotional experience, and God has never been so close to you ever in your life. But here's the challenge. We relegate God to that location or that song. And so when we don't hear that song or we're not in that place, then we don't think the Holy Spirit is present. And some of us, some of us forget about the Holy Spirit altogether. Does anybody, uh, the, I, I, I don't know uh, about you, but man, there's been some circles and there have been some people where they're like, Holy Spirit, right? With a question mark. I mean, some of us forget about the Holy Spirit altogether. We think the Holy Spirit is this subpar spiritual thing that is somewhat trivial in our walk as Christians. We may have relegated the Holy Spirit to this feeling that only charismatic folks talk about. If it doesn't make sense to you, you don't want it. And the pillars of your faith are Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. And there's no room 
and, and what we call theology. There's no room in your theology for the Holy Spirit. And in your day-to-day actions, you forget about the Holy Spirit. No matter which camp you fall in, there are clearly misconceptions about the Holy Spirit. And notice, I didn't call anything wrong. We are specifically using the word misconceptions because in this series, we want to pay close attention to how Jesus, is, how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit. And let's turn to our scripture this morning in John 14, verse 15. It says this, if you love me, this is Jesus talking to his disciples. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And Jesus is talking to disciples here, and he's kind of dropping in a little lesson on discipleships. discipleship. He's saying that the evidence of our love for Jesus is our obedience to his commands. Jesus is saying the evidence of our love is our obedience to his commands. Even if you're new today and you don't subscribe to Christianity, I want you to really hear what Jesus is saying. Essentially, Jesus is saying our love for him should result in us following him, which requires a deep dependent relationship to know the real commands and how to obey them. (laughs) But Jesus knows that it is difficult. How many of us would agree that obedience is really difficult for us? My son Axel is a perfect example. It could be raining outside, and the next day, Axel and I go to a frolic in the park. And there could be a puddle standing right before us. Axel will walk. He's one and a half, by the way, just in case. I want you guys to know that. He walks right up to the puddle, and I say, Axel, don't step in the puddle. Don't laugh. This is hard. Axel looks at me. He looks at the puddle. He looks at me. He looks at the puddle. He looks at me, and he jumps in the puddle. I mean, if we're honest, obedience is not a piece of cake for us. Jesus, fully aware that we struggle to obey, then he turns in verse 16, look with me, and he says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. This is the promise Jesus is saying that you and I are not asked to live the Christian life ourselves. We are not supposed to have it all together. And I want to pause. Maybe there's someone in here. Maybe you need to give yourself a break. Maybe you need to be reminded that it's okay that you don't have all the answers. It's okay that you don't have it all together. It's okay that you set a timeline for life to happen and it hasn't happened on your timeline. Maybe you need to be reminded that it's okay because Jesus never expected us to live the Christian life on our own. It's okay to be a little confused. Because, listen, Christianity is not a lifestyle. It's not a set of rules. It's a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit and His power. Jesus doesn't expect us to know every step to take. He doesn't expect us to make every right, de- right decision. The Holy Spirit will help us. This is the promise, and that is his job. It's his job. It's not our job to have everything right. It's his job to help us. And here's the nuance. What will the Holy Spirit help you with? The Holy Spirit will help you obey 
God's commands. The Holy Spirit will come and help you obey God's commands. So wait, Aswan, what are you telling me? You're telling me if I, uh, if, I, if, I ask the Lord, if I ask Jesus to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior, that he will then in turn give me the Holy Spirit who will now walk with me in this new life and help me figure it out? I'm so glad you asked. Many of you had that question. That's exactly what I'm saying. The word here is paraclete. And paraclete simply means one who comes alongside. And essentially, as Christians, we are saying that we become spiritually reborn, we're born again, and then we get a counselor, and then we get an advocate who takes residence in our hearts, and then he guides us the rest of the way. If you're a follower of Jesus, when you gave your life to him, it didn't, he didn't hand you a rule book, he handed you the Holy Spirit. And let me just say, maybe you never knew that's what Christianity was about. And that's why you stayed away for so long. Maybe that's why you haven't decided to enter a personal relationship with Jesus. I hope today you know that a Christian is simply someone who was walking and did a 180, and now the Holy Spirit is simply guiding them in everything else that they do. Family, Jesus cares for us so much that he sends the Holy Spirit to care, comfort, correct, and commission us to be the followers of Jesus God designed us to be. We don't have to do this alone. Why? Truthfully, um, I mean, we can't. But better than the fact that we can't, Jesus doesn't want us to. Jesus actually wants to provide us and give us the Holy Spirit as a gift. Now, Jesus says that not only will the Holy Spirit help you, but he will be with you forever. See, this is not like the times of old when the Holy Spirit just rested upon people temporarily. He's not an intern. He's not a contractor. He's not a fill-in. The Holy Spirit will take residence in your hearts and be and live with us forever. The Holy Spirit now was being sent by Jesus to take residence in people's hearts. Look at verse 17, if you will. The spirit of truth, as Jesus calls him, he then says, the word cannot accept him because the world, excuse me, cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Don't miss it, family. There is no special holy building that the Holy Spirit needs to chill in. There's no special dance or prayer that you need to do to get him. The Holy Spirit was sent to live in you and I forever. And once he comes and takes residence in your heart, he never leaves. Here's another thing I wanted to point out. The pronoun him. Did you notice that Jesus never calls the Holy Spirit an it? Did you notice that, that nowhere in the Bible is the Holy Spirit referred to as a ghost or an it or some impersonal force? He is a person. He is a spiritual person. He is the third distinct person in the God family. And the way to, to, to describe, I want you to get a picture of the God family. This is the language that I think is best used so that we understand it. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And all are equal. So what are we saying here? The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not a force. It's not an emotional experience. The Holy Spirit is God. 
The Holy Spirit is not a force. It's not some emotional experience. The Holy Spirit is God. Listen to verse 18 again. Jesus is saying this. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Who will come to you? Jesus is saying, I will come to you. But listen, in verse 16, he just says, I will send you another advocate. And here is the great tension about the text. It's, that's, both are exactly true. Jesus says he will send himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. God is saying he will send himself in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the first advocate. The Holy Spirit is the second. God is saying to you and I that he gives us himself. That is the greatest joy of the Christian. We are not promised a comfortable life. We are not promised a rent-controlled, a rent-stabilized three-bedroom apartment with outdoor space in Central Harlem. I mean, it's okay to pray for that. I need prayer if you might want to pray with me. My kids are growing. I don't know why, but... But we're not promised that. We're not promised a magic formula that gives us what we want. We are promised God himself. We are promised an intimate and personal relationship with the God of the universe. The goal of Christianity is that we get God. Not that we get a whole bunch of things, but that we get God. And 2,000 years ago, God the Son, Jesus, said the same thing at Calvary. It was on the cross where God said to you and I, I will give you myself. In the person of Jesus, the invisible God became visible and he suffered and he died. See, the first advocate, the one who speaks in our defense, has already stood in the cosmic courtroom for you and I. Jesus took our sin upon himself and he endured the punishment you and I deserved. He sat in as our substitute, and now Jesus is saying that his job is complete. God the Son has finished the job, and now he's sending God the Holy Spirit to take residence in our hearts. Jesus is saying, I will give you myself in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he will live with you forever. Listen to this in John 16, verse 7. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples again. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That means that having the Holy Spirit in your life is better than having Jesus here on earth. Let me, let me unpack that a little bit. See, Jesus, if people wanted to, 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 get to get to Jesus, they would, be, uh, they would have to surround him in some geographical location. Um, if people wanted to uh, understand what the Holy Spirit was, they would have to go to Jesus and find him in these remote locations. But the Holy Spirit, it, we're told in the Bible, the Holy Spirit will dwell in the hearts of all those who put their complete trust in Jesus and his work on the cross. Again, bear with me a little bit. We'll get a little nerdy, but there's in, in the Bible, there's something, there's a, there's a passage uh, in Acts 2, uh, in the book of Acts, 
where, and it's called Pentecost. And in Pentecost, we see that the Holy Spirit, there are multiple people from all different ethnicities, all different geographical locations, and the Bible tells us that they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. And here's what would have been true for the first century Jew. They would have understood that the only way that something could be uh, in the same place, at the, in multiple places at the same time, is if it was God. And so here we get proof in the text that the Holy Spirit is God. The only attribute that God possessed, one of the unique attributes that God possessed was something we call omnipresence, which means that God could be present everywhere at all times. And the Holy Spirit here in Acts 2, it's proof that the Holy Spirit then can also be present in all of our hearts all over the world at the same time. The Holy Spirit is God. All right, I'm a practical dude, and so I'm going to end with some practical things. What does it mean? What does, what does all of this mean? What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is God and he'll dwell in our hearts? Well, here's what I want. Here's what I want us to do with this message. I want us to actually pray. Like, not fake pray, like, oh, you just walked down a... No. Like, I want us to actually pray. And I want you to pray that God give you the sensitivity to, to, to receive and to follow the, the Holy Spirit's nudges. See, I think it's very true that the Holy Spirit is always nudging us. Maybe some of us got nudged today to come to church. And I don't know about you, but there's been times where I haven't, feel like, I haven't felt like doing something spiritual. And I get this nudge, and I actually do it, and I feel like, man, it's, it's the best thing that could have ever happened. Maybe some of us are getting, the Holy Spirit is nudging you to forgive someone. And you're like, yo, listen, man, listen, y'all talk about forgiveness and this Christian stuff, that's cool. But look, it's hard. You don't know what he did to me. But the Holy Spirit is nudging you. Is it worth your soul? Is it worth all the, the junk that's going to be built up in your heart, the resentment, the bitterness? Why, why don't you go ahead and try to forgive? And the Holy Spirit is nudging us. Some of us need to pray so that, the whole, so that when the Holy Spirit is speaking and moving, that we actually adhere to his nudges. Some of us need to forgive ourselves. And the Holy Spirit is saying, look, listen, I know what you want to call yourself, but I don't call you that. I don't say that about you. Man, my pray is that we leave today and we actually are praying for the Holy Spirit to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's nudges in and throughout our lives. And for me, one of the byproducts of the Holy Spirit in my life has been freedom. It's, I've experienced a level of freedom, man, that I can't quite explain with words, but man, I was living a life of lust, and I'm not just talking physical lust, but I'm saying the lust after things, the lust, the lust after attention or notoriety, and the Holy Spirit has set me free from those, because I think that's one of the byproducts of what he does in our lives. Here's the way I'll end it. Man, I've been set free now the chains are off, and death was my road, but I changed the course. I walk with a newness, man, I'm clean on the inside. Now I got a new set of codes I could live by. Lust beat me down, man. Fear had me wrapped up. And every time I tried to do good, they would act up. I said, wait, I ain't going to sit here and get jacked up. So I called the Holy Spirit in for some backup. 
as well, man. I'm on my freedom thing. And like the civil rights, man, I pray that freedom rings, but it won't unless the spirit do its thing. I pray we get to see the joy that freedom brings. Because back in the days I used to get, get, get it on. Me and the ways of the spirit didn't get along. Let me tell you the reason I really wrote this song. Christ died so you could be free. Come on now, sing along. Let me pray for us. Daddy, thank you for the truth. Uh, thank you that we will rework the misconceptions. Thank you for the truth that the Holy Spirit is God and that he will remain and dwell and take residence in our hearts. Those of us who put our trust and faith in you, you promise that you will give us a person, a spiritual person who will guide us, who will comfort us, who will lead us, who will give us strength and endurance. Daddy, thank you for what you do for us. Thank you for who you are. We pray that we come to know you more. We want to be like Moses. Show us your face. God, thank you for the truth that you spoke to us today. Make us sensitive to the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.